Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study every Wednesday night to benefit those and to help those who are not able to be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ each Wednesday evening at 6.30 when our regular Wednesday night Bible classes begin. We know there are people in the Omaha area who want to get into God's Word. They want to learn. They want to understand God's teachings more clearly and more fully, but they're not able to be with us for various reasons. And so we're thankful to be able to reach out to them with God's Word through the medium of the Internet and by means of these podcasts. But now we know also that there are people listening across this country and around the world, literally, who have access to the internet, who want to learn God's word more. They want to be in Bible study. But again, they're not in our area, so they're not able to be with us in person. So we're thankful in all of these cases to be able to reach out with God's word and maybe in in some cases, even to the unsuspecting listener who may not really be all that focused on learning scripture, but they, in some way, they happen to tune in, or maybe somebody shares one of these podcasts with them, and they begin to listen and then to learn. We're thankful to have the ability, the opportunity, the means to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. We encourage those who are in the Omaha area to come and be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. 3606 North 108th Street. And our Bible classes begin on Sunday mornings at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30. Our evening worship on Sunday evenings, we come back together at 6 o'clock for another period of Bible study and worship. And then on Wednesday evenings middle of the week, good time to stop and get our spiritual batteries recharged, so to speak. Each Wednesday evening at 6.30, we come back together for midweek Bible classes. You're you're welcome to any and all of these services, and we'd love to have the opportunity for you to get to know us and let us get to know you. Check us out in person and study God's Word with us. Grow in faith with us, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. Worship God with us and grow spiritually with us. Now, we also encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, other technological means, and share with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. You may help somebody grow in their faith. You may help somebody get to heaven. What a great blessing for them, getting them into God's word and ultimately helping them come to learn the way to heaven itself eternal life with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But you know, that will also be a great blessing for you. So start sharing today and always. Also encourage everybody you can to go to our website, churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, and click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. We keep saying we're not after people's wallets. We want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. And when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smart device, whether that's their smartphone or whatever other smart device they choose, automatically they will receive 
Sunday, night, Sunday morning Bible class, Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and a daily Monday through Friday radio program called Search the Scriptures. But also, they will receive what I really consider to be maybe an extra jewel, <laughs> and that is a short, only about 13 minutes each day, but it's every single day, seven days a week. We call it today's Bible class. Gets us again into God's Word, keeps us in God's Word, and thereby helps us to stay strong and even grow stronger in our faith. All of that will be automatic, and again, it will always be free. So take advantage of it yourself and encourage everybody you know to do so as well. We're going to get back into our study from 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to look beginning with verse 7. Now, John has been talking about false teachers in the first six verses of this particular chapter and how we need to be on guard against false teachers. And the way we can do that is by knowing the truth of God's word ourselves. And we also understand that nobody, especially verses 4, 5, and 6, John is emphasizing that nobody can pull us away from God. Nobody can make us believe false doctrine except we can give in to it ourselves. But nobody can make us. Nobody can pull us away from God, pull us away from faithfulness, but we can give in to that ourselves. But as long as we stand firm in our dedication to God through his word, keeping his commandments, staying true to those teachings, then we will stand firm with God. He will never let go of our hand as long as we never let go of his. And what we believe, what we teach, and what we practice as Christians makes a difference. It's not okay to just to believe something or anything and just say, well, I believe in God, I believe in Christ, I just have this warm feeling in my heart. No, you, ne- you need to make sure that what you believe, what you teach, what you practice conforms to what the scriptures really say. That's the key, and that's the standard of truth. Remember, Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And in John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus identified the truth as being God's word. Sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. Now let's pick up, and John John switches gears, so to speak, here with, with verse 7. And he starts talking about the love that God has for us and that we ought to have for one another as fellow Christians. Beginning with verse 7, we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's verses 7 through 11. I have often challenged people in teaching on love, or maybe teaching about God. Explain love without God. Is there silence there? You see, how do we know love except through God? 
and his love for us. Did you catch what John wrote there twice? Well, once in this particular section. He who, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Huh. And then he says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In this, the love of God was manifested, made apparent to us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. See, God is the very source of love. He is, we might say, love personified. Again, I challenge anyone to explain love, to define it adequately without God. It's an impossibility. We could say the same thing about goodness. How do you explain goodness without God? When the rich young man came to Jesus and asked him, what, you know, good master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded by saying, why do you call me good? There is one good, that is God. Over and over and over, the scriptures make the statement that God is good. Well, here John says God is love. The two naturally go together. Love and goodness. Goodness and love. Now, somebody might say, well, I, I can explain love without God, and, and particularly somebody who might be an atheist or an agnostic or a skeptic or someone who is just very, very, very weak in their faith and dedication and they don't really walk with God. They might say they believe in God, but it's a really very thin surface level kind of love that they're expressing. So somebody might say, well, I can understand God. It's this feeling I have. Well, explain where that feeling comes from. Explain. How do you know what love is? except there has to be a source of love, a beginning to what we call love, a bottom-line foundational standard of love. You see, some people, they'll say, I love this, or I love that, or this means this is what love is to me, or, but somebody else says, well, that's not what I consider love. Love is this to me. What John brings out here very directly and very clearly, this is the love of God. That not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, what does that mean, that word propitiation? The substitute for our sins. He hung, that is Christ, sent by God in love for us, and Jesus, lovingly submitting to the will of the Father, went to that cross to be sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. Not to be sinful, not to be guilty of sin, but to bear our sins on his physical body as he hung and died upon that cross. He was the substitute for us. Through his ultimate sacrifice, we can be counted righteous by God as we come to God through Jesus in repenting of our sins, confessing our faith in him openly, and being baptized into him for the remission of our sins. 
and coming to salvation thereby in him. God demonstrated, and he still demonstrates his love toward us. And the natural response on our part to God's love for us ought to be loving God back. And that ought to naturally incorporate our obedience to his teachings because of our love for him, if we truly love him. What does John 3 and verse 16 say? Perhaps the most familiar and often quoted verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then what the Apostle Paul wrote along the same line in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How could anyone imagine a greater expression of love than that expressed by God for all of mankind by sacrificing his own son on that cross to pay the price for the guilt of our sins that we might be forgiven, redeemed, saved in Christ and be able to be assured and look forward to eternal life with him in heaven. Now, again, what did Paul say there in Romans 5 and verse 8? Christ didn't die for the good people. You see, there is no one good except God. There is no one good outside of Christ. He's the Savior sent by God from heaven to this earth. Christ died for the ungodly, Romans 5 and verse 6. He died while we were still in sin, verse 8. Now, that's how much God loves us. Would you give your son, the life of your son, for anybody in this world? Again, silence, right? What about, would you die for anybody in this world? And someone might quickly say, well, I'd die for my wife. Or I'd give my life for my child. I'd die for my husband. What about the worst of the worst of humanity that you could imagine? Whatever depraved state that you might imagine someone slipping into, would you die for that person? Would you sacrifice your own son for that person? We know the answer, don't we? But God did exactly that. He sent his son to die, not for the righteous. Again, there cannot be anyone righteous outside of Christ. And until Jesus died on that cross, the ultimate understanding or the ultimate fulfillment of righteousness could not have existed. God tolerated the sacrifice of animals to pay the price or to be an atonement for sin in Old Testament times, but that was only because he knew he would send the Savior into the world, his own son, the perfect and ultimate one-time-for-all-time sacrifice 
Hebrews 7, verse 27. And so it was prospective in nature. He would pass over the sins of the people in Old Testament times, the Israelites included, because he was sending the Savior. And so Christ's death on the cross would suffice to pay the price for the guilt of the sins of all mankind going all the way back to Adam in, in, in the garden to cover all of the sins of all mankind in the day that he walked upon this earth, Jesus, including those who were the instigators of his crucifixion, and also all the sins of all mankind until he comes again. And that includes us today. That is how much God loves us. Our love, to a great extent, for a great many of us, is wishy-washy. It comes and it goes. It rises up and then falls, you know, silent. It's fickle at times. But God's love is the standard of true love. We understand love because God first loved us. And here's what Jesus commanded on the night of his betrayal. He's talking to the apostles. He's in the upper room. The next day he would be on the cross. And he says in verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you. Now, this is not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. Not something he's sharing a thought about with the apostles saying, you know, I'm thinking this would probably be something beneficial. No, no. He says, this is a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, Jesus knew he'd be on the cross that next day. He knew he'd be betrayed that very evening. And he's telling them, love one another. A new commandment? Love had been part of God's instructions in Old Testament times. But this is a new commandment because of the scope and the direction. He says that you love one another. You're faithful followers of mine. Love one another. And then the scope of it, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How far-reaching is that scope? Uh, Again, he'd die on the cross the next day for them. And so it's a new commandment in direction. Love not your fellow man, but you love your fellow follower of me, of mine, Jesus is saying. Ultimately, you love your fellow Christian. And the scope, as I have loved you, Jesus was about to die for them. And then he says in verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you have love for one another. And so he says a characteristic, an earmark of being one of my followers, of being, as we would put it today, a Christian is going to be seen by the non-Christian world around you through your love for one another, your fellow Christians, 
the way you think about one another, speak to and speak of one another, and the way you treat one another, the relationship you have that is visible to the non-Christian world, that love is going to be, it's going to be like a, a lesson shouted out about Christianity to the non-Christian world around you. That's how powerful this love is. And, and so, again, what, what did John say? God demonstrated this love, verse 9. This love of God for us, for mankind, by sending his Son into the world that we might live through him, sacrificing his Son on that cross. And this love, we, don't, we did not earn it. No, no. And our love did not come first, and it did not even come at the same time as God's love for us, but rather God loved us first. He gave us the supreme example of what love really is by sending his son to that cross to die for us. And so, by that standard, we ought to understand love and we ought to love one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our true fellow Christians. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, let's get a little bit into the next section here, verses 12 through 16. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him, that is, we live in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. John says again now in verse 16, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. God is love. And so John continues to make the application of our needing, God instructing us, God commanding us to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we're not talking here about loving all of humanity. He's talking specifically about loving our true brothers and sisters in Christ. And God loving us so much that he sent his son to die for us is the bottom line and ultimate example of the kind of love that John is instructing, teaching. And by virtue of his writing God's word, he is commanding this love for us that we ought to love one another. Now, where does our love for one another begin? Well, as we've pointed out, as John has emphasized, it begins with God's love for us. But how do we respond to that love? First, now, when we're talking about loving our true brothers and sisters in Christ, true Christians, that's not the first response on our part to God's love for us, which came first. 
our first response, recognizing God's love for us, should be for us to love God. To love God. I want to go back to John chapter 14. How do we demonstrate our love for God? Well, Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 15, now get this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them. Now, what does it mean to keep them? Obey them, live by them. It is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then in verse 23, he repeats, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. And then the other side of the ledger, He who does not love me does not keep my words. In other words, if we do not obey the teachings of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Jesus says, you don't really love me. Oh, don't tell me I don't love my Lord. I love my Lord. Are you living by his teachings? Well, no, but Jesus said you don't really love him. Not in the way he's teaching here. He says you don't really love him. Now, if that makes you mad, get mad at Jesus. I simply was reading his words. Those were his words that he spoke and that God guided the Apostle John to write down in Scripture. We need to understand if we truly love God, it cannot be a superficial, surface-level kind of love. It has to be a love that is absolute, and that would include our absolute faithfulness, which includes, in fact, is centered by obedience to God's teachings. Do you love God that much? Do you love Jesus that much? Do you love your brother or sister in Christ as you should? And this love that John teaches here, that Jesus commanded, this love that originates with God for us, being so deep and so far-reaching that he sent his son to die on the cross for us, that love is a powerful proof for the Bible truly being from God, truly being his word. Because without God, we don't know that kind of love. We love because God first loved us, because God is love. We'll move a little bit further next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much. So much, Father. We don't deserve the expression of your love that came through the sacrifice of your Son on the cross. But you are so much higher than we are. And your love 
is so much higher than what we can possibly exhibit apart from you and your son. Thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for teaching us the depths of love, Father, and what true love really is. Guide us to always demonstrate our love for you by living by your teachings, faithfully, obediently, consistently, throughout our lives on this earth, Father. And thank you for promising us through your love for us a home in heaven as we live for you in loving obedience upon this earth. Praise, glory, honor, and thanks be to you, Father. Please forgive us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.